Okay, good morning and welcome, guys. My name is Ash. It's my privilege to be speaking to you today from the Bible. Okay, so 2020 is upon us. Uh, back in 2017, grime artist Stormzy released a track called Too Big for Your Boots. Uh, the, the title and the words, they served as a challenge. It wasn't a reference to how big someone's feet were. In fact, what Stormzy was doing, in, in essence, he was saying that there are some people out there who need to be brought down a peg or two. There are a few people out there who need to be humbled or brought down to size. And uh, that's really what his track was all about. And do you know what? Whether or not we've expressed it so poetically or forcefully, we have probably all had that experience of looking around and thinking there are just some people out there who are too big for their boots and could do with some humbling. It is something that we are all familiar with, I believe. But I'm sure a few of us out here are also familiar with primetime boxing. Now, when it comes to primetime boxing, it's all about the, the, the glitz and the glamour. And often what would happen is the boxers would enter the stadium, they'd come towards the ring, there'd be lights and there'd be music. There'd be an MC often like, dressed really sharply. And the MC would enthusiastically recite all of the credentials of those boxers. So you'll get the name, the height, the weight, where they were born, where they live now, basically anything good they've ever done. Okay, you get like the full, even their GCSE results, it'll all be there. Now the job of the MC in that scenario is to, is to hype the crowd up, but in, in reality it's about building up the boxers in the eyes of those who are watching. You know, in life, we are familiar with this dynamic between, on the one hand, people being brought down a peg or two, and on the other, people being lifted up. We experience it in life, we hear it in songs, we read it in books, we see it in films. And this is not a new phenomenon. It has existed as long as humanity has. And what we're going to do today is we're going to wind the clock back. We're not going to go back to 2019. We're not going to go back to 1999. We're going to go back even further, two and a half thousand years ago. And as we go back, we're going to see a battle. It's a battle on the one hand between God's glory and humanity's glory. It's also a battle between doing things God's way and doing things humanity's way. And in this scenario, God is the one who determines who it is that is too big for their boots and who it is that ought to be honored. And my intention today is to show that the way of wisdom is found in pursuing God's glory in God's way. So let's just set a little bit of context. Now the time is roughly 500 years before the birth of Jesus. The people of God there, the Hebrews, they've had an up and a down history. They've had some good times, they've had some bad times, just like Manchester United Football Club. The people have been through periods of living faithfully with God, loving him, serving him, and then reverting back to old ways. Reverting back to doing whatever they wanted, however they wanted, with very little thought or regard for God. And God had graciously, very kindly sent them prophets. Prophets were simply spokespeople. They spoke on God's behalf. And they came and told the people, they reminded the people of all the ways that God had been good to them all the ways that God had blessed them and provided for them and protected them. And on hearing this, the people would turn back to God again and they'd live faithfully with him for a while. 
But just like many of us and New Year's resolutions that only last so long, eventually they turn back to old ways, doing their own thing with very little thought or regard for God. This happened over a number of generations. It happened throughout the centuries. Now, God's approach to the people was that of a loving father. He was about to bring discipline to them. The discipline would be tough, but ultimately it would serve for their good. Now, the people were to be removed from their homeland. God was using a nation called Babylon. He was raising up a nation who would come and eventually besiege the capital, the capital of Judah, and the king of Babylon would eventually conquer it and send the people to live in other parts of his empire. The people were going to be exiled. It was part of God's discipline. So what was done with those people, those exiled people? What did life look like? Well, today we're going to zoom lens in on one particular person. His name was Daniel. And um, this is how Daniel was introduced to us in the Bible. This is from uh, Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through to 6. says this. Then the king, that's the king of Babylon, commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. Okay, folks, well, today what we're going to do is we're going um, to spend most of our time looking at uh, part of the Bible from the book of Daniel. We're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 6. We're going to be looking at a whole chapter, but we're going to take a bird's eye view of it. So we're not going to go in depth. And um, there are going to be three parts to it. So it's like a three-act story or a three-act play. The first act, we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 6 and verses 1 through to Nine, which I think might appear on the screen above me, but I will also read, says this. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom those satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Okay, so in this first act, we see uh, Daniel's status is challenged. Act one, Daniel's status is challenged. Now, Daniel is a man on the rise. He's a high-ranking official in the government, and he's on the verge of another promotion. 
it seems likely to everyone that eventually Daniel will take the very top job in the government. His career up until this point has been exemplary. He's wise, he's determined, he's experienced. He has a proven track record. He's already worked under two different kings. He worked under Nebuchadnezzar and then Belshazzar. And now he's onto his third king, Darius, the Persian. The Persians had come in and basically taken over the empire of the Babylonians. In fact, Daniel was so impressive that Nebuchadnezzar said of him that basically there was no one else in the kingdom who even came close to Daniel. He was the cream of the crop. Now, when someone is on the rise, people are usually, generally happy for that person. They are pleased about the the opportunities that await that person. They're pleased for their progress and their advancement. But I'm sure we're all aware that that is not always the case. Not everyone will be happy. You see, some people struggle with the success of others, particularly when it diminishes their own reputation or opportunities. And this is what we find with those who work with Daniel. You see, Daniel's one of the top, top officials. And we're told that the other officials trying to find some grounds of complaint against him. Let's just note that. They are trying to find grounds for complaint. So what that means is they've decided already, we don't like Daniel. They've decided already, we want to take Daniel down. They've decided already, we want to get his job. It's almost as if they've decided already, he's guilty. Now we're going to find some evidence to justify the verdict, the guilty verdict already. They are trying to find grounds for complaints. But there's a slight issue here, and that is that the officials can find nothing wrong with Daniel and his handling of government affairs. You see, his work is exemplary. Daniel was the guy who would have turned up on time, he'd have worked hard, he wouldn't have called in sick when he didn't need to. He's a guy who would have helped colleagues out when needed. He would have been polite. And you know, it's very difficult to take issue with such a person. The officials can find no fault with Daniel's work, so they go for the tried and trusted methods of finding something in relation to his relationship with God. If you look down, or look up even, with me, verse 5 says, um, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaints against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. You know, interesting enough, ultimately, this is what we actually see in the life of Jesus. There are some parallels here between Daniel and Jesus. Jesus lived an absolutely impeccable life all the way through. There'd be nothing bad or inadequate that you could pin on him. Nothing wrong that he ever said or thought or did. He was perfect all the way through. And yet his enemies were determined to find some way of accusing him. In the case of both Daniel and Jesus, the way that their enemies got to them was in regard to their relationship with God. It is a tried and trusted method. It's been used throughout history and is still used today. And can I just say it's a real and present challenge for everyone who is a Christian. You could be the, you could be the absolute, the exemplary perfect worker, but this challenge might come to you if you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus. So why did these guys, why did the other officials go in for Daniel's faith in God? Why, why did they take that particular route? Well, you know, to trust in God is to have him as ultimate in your life, to have him as supreme, to have him as the biggest and most important thing or biggest or most important person. And whatever is ultimate in life will shape what you think, what you say, and what you do. Or we could flip it the other way. We could say, well, 
if you want to know how someone is likely to live and act, you do well to find out where their ultimate allegiance is. I'm sure many people in this room will have watched uh, dramas and films that um, feature intelligence agencies like the CIA or MI6, and, and oftentimes when they, they, they wanted to get some information from someone, they wanted to extract information from, from a target. Apparently that's like the technical term, I don't know. Um, they wanted to get some information, and they're thinking, well, how can we get this person to spill the beans or you know, tell these state secrets? And what, they, what they're often looking for is a way in or a weak spot. They're looking for something that's really important to that person. They're going to get it, they're going to squeeze it, and they're going to use that thing to get the person to talk. That's kind of what we got here. So when we talk about you know, whatever is ultimate, it's that weak spot. For Daniel, his weak spot, his ultimate allegiance is God. That's where his trust is. That's He's put all of his eggs in that basket, to coin a phrase. So that's why these other guys go in for his relationship with God. But how do they do it? What does it look like? Well, the officials, they, um, you know, we, we don't get a, a great deal of info in terms of the, the particular conversation that they had with themselves, but they, they are clearly having some conversations among themselves, and clearly they are agreed that they don't like Daniel, and something needs to be done about Daniel. It's a bit of a conspiracy. Now, obviously, this is two and a half thousand years ago. These are the days before Facebook or WhatsApp, so there's no, like, they weren't getting a WhatsApp group together. It's like, you know, the We Hate Daniel fan club. They weren't doing that, okay? But there were conversations, there must have been conversations had. And they come together to the king, and they suggest, quite strongly, that the king writes a new law. Now, these are the king's, his, his, his government, his officials, his wise people. These are his advisors. These are the people that he listens to. So they're coming on mass and saying to him, look, king, we think you should write a new law. And this law would mean that anyone, any person who prays to anyone but you for 30 days should be thrown into the den of lions. Now, let's get this really clear. Daniel has done a fantastic job up until this point. Daniel will continue to do a sterling job for the king. He is a faithful, exemplary worker. But, you know, the, the other officials, they understand something. They understand that Daniel is a lover and a follower and a worshipper of God. They understand that God has the highest place in Daniel's life. And they know that when the interests of King Darius and God start to kind of diverge, Daniel is always going to go in the direction of God. When the rubber hits the road, it's going to be God first for Daniel. So what they're doing really with this, this injunction, this law, is they are, they are forcing Daniel into a corner. They're forcing him to make a choice between either King Darius or God. And can I just say, there will be decisions like this in life for all of us at times. It might be God or your boss. It might be God or your parents. It might be, for example, God or comfort. Now, none of those things are particularly bad, but there are times in life where the interests of comfort, for example, are not lined up with the interests of God. So even the fact that you guys are, are here in this room and not like at home in bed means you've, you've, you've actively made a decision, okay? You've gone this direction rather than that direction. Sometimes there's a divergence there and we're forced to make those decisions. Is it God or is it something or someone else? Where are your interests aligned? Now, at this point in the story, it looks like Daniel is backed into a corner. It looks like he's on the ropes. How will he respond? Well, let's have a look. Well, 
move on to uh, Act 2 of the story. And this is Daniel's response. We're looking at verses 10 through to 15, which say this. Now, when Daniel knew that a document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. You, um, you often get a clearer picture as to someone's motives and character when you see them under stress or in challenging circumstances. Now, I'm involved in coaching um, young athletes, at uh, track and field athletes at my local club, and I find it fascinating to see some of the, the young people come into the sport, they, they train with us for a little while, um, and they, take, they begin to take their first steps towards uh, major serious competition. And um, I've worked with a number of those athletes who are quite quiet and shy. And they've been very, very nervous before their first competitions. Actually, not just the athletes, young athletes, but the parents as well. And I've spent a lot of time just trying to get behind them, encourage them. You're going to be absolutely fine. You're going to do a sterling job. A lot of encouragement has been needed. But something fascinating I've seen, I've noticed, that I've seen some of those same athletes completely transformed once the competition starts. These apparently shy, timid athletes, all of a sudden, it seems like they develop a laser-like focus and a gritty competitive edge. And actually, some, some of you guys would have experienced it. If you've played, um, if you've, actually, if you've played board games with my wife, Jess, you will understand what I'm talking about. So she is, she's, she's very nice, she's lovely, but you play board games with her, and all of a sudden, like, who is this person? Now, it's not like you know, the arrival of the board game or the athletics competition changes someone, but it just reveals what's there. It reveals this, this gritty, steely determination, which is a really good thing, can I just say. <laughs> now, in sports, competition is often referred to as the business end. Uh, what is meant by that is that it's the time where your, your, the preparation and training needs to be put into practice. This is when it's time to deliver. At this point in the story, we see Daniel at the business end of things. The other officials, they're trying to take him down. They're trying to take down his, his reputation. They're trying to take his job. They're trying to take his life. Okay, this is serious business. Daniel is a man of faith in God. In fact, throughout his career, he is constantly explaining that it is God who has given him the skills, the gifts, the abilities, and the opportunities to get to where he is. All the way through. His colleagues all know this. Daniel is now put into a situation where he can have his life and safety on the one hand, or 
He can remain true to his principles and the worship of God. That's the choice that is before him. So it's like a game of chess. The other guys, they've made their move, and it's like, over to you, Daniel, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? How will Daniel respond? It's worth considering, what would you do in that circumstance? What would you do if such a thing happened in this country? If the monarch, there was a new law that was passed that said, well, you could only pray to the Queen, Queen Elizabeth or King William, eventually, um, for 30 days. What would you do? You're told no prayer to anyone but the, the monarch for 30 days. So it's not forever, it's for a set period of time. Now, some of us will be thinking, well, 30 days, that's, that's, that's normal life for me. I could do that, I could live with that. Some will be thinking, well, oh, maybe that's quite wise. Lay low, like keep my head down, um, keep quiet, and then get back to normal after that, that 30 days. We might be thinking, well, that's, that's just, there's a bit of wisdom there. I can probably do more good alive than dead. Maybe it's better to temporarily stop praying if it means life and the ability to serve God longer term. Well, let's have a look. What, is, what does Daniel think and do? The passage makes it clear. Look with me. Verse 10 says this. Uh, now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Now, Daniel has been informed that prayer to anyone but the king would put his life in danger. What does he do? He goes home, goes to his house with windows open towards Jerusalem. This isn't in the choir. It's not in the corner like everyone can see in here. He goes home and prays to his own God, the one true God of Israel. That's his response. That's his counter move. Now, we ought to notice the phrase, just as he had done before. I think this is a vital phrase. And it leads me to believe that in Daniel's eyes, this was business as usual. The law didn't really change anything for him. You see, Daniel had resolved from the earliest days to love and follow God. We get it right from the start of the, um, the book of Daniel all the way through. And um, some people would have looked at Daniel and thought, oh, there's a guy on the rise. Oh, he's advancing through his career. He's going to take the top job one day. I'd love to be like Daniel. Yeah, he's successful. Do you know what? I believe that in Daniel's eyes, success meant knowing God better and following him more closely. All the other stuff, all, all the, um, like the, the promotions, all that, lovely, like we'd have accepted it, great, fantastic, lovely. That's supplementary. That's like cherry on the cake territory for him. For him, the real deal was about knowing God better and following him more closely. Now, um, some people in this room might be familiar with a cartoon from my childhood. It's called Pinky and the Brain. Pinky and the Brain was about two, two mice in a research facility. One is called Pinky, the other is called the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. And um, I can't remember that many episodes, but I always remember the start. The start, because the start was always the same. And it would happen with Pinky turning to his friend Brain and saying, gee, Brain, yeah, what, what, what are we going to do tonight? And um, Brain would turn back to his friend Pinky and say, well, look, the same thing we do every night, try to take over the world. Now, just track with me on this one. I'm not suggesting that we try to take over the world, but just, just follow with me. Um, if the technology existed for me to go back in time, two and a half thousand years, and to find Daniel at that point when the law was passed, and if I could speak in Aramaic or Hebrew, I would go up to him and say, Daniel, what, what are you doing tonight? And I know what his answer would be. He'd probably say to me, the same thing I do every night. I'm going to go home and pray. See, for Daniel, this prayer thing wasn't supplementary. It wasn't for particular times of, of year. It wasn't for like the Christmas, Easter... It was baked into who he was and what he did. It was, it was just standard stuff for him. It was as normal as breathing or eating. 
Now, I heard something from someone, someone told me um, a couple of weeks ago. They said, um, I can't specifically remember many meals that I've had, but I know that I've been fed. And I think something similar could be said about prayer. Now, I, I can't tell you about all the prayer meetings that I've been to. I can't tell you about all the prayers that I've prayed. But this I know for sure. I have prayed and God has answered. God has provided. God has healed. God has helped. God has revealed stuff. That has been my testimony. That has been the testimony of many people sat in this room. That has been the testimony or the story of many people throughout the ages. Can't quite work out the dynamic between this particular prayer and this particular thing, but one thing I'm clear on, when we pray, stuff happens. I think Daniel got this. Daniel understood this. And I think sometimes we, we, we set the bar really high and we think, well, oh, in order to pray, I need to like, know loads of Bible. I need to set aside an hour of complete silence or I need to have a full worship band behind me. Look, we don't get too much insight into the, all the specifics of Daniel's prayer life here. But I love the fact that it was his standard custom to pray. That's what he did three times a day. Very ordinary, very plain. And I think there's some learning in there for us. You know, as a church... Um, 2020, we're going to be doing some new things. We're going to be launching, hopefully, an encounter meeting, hopefully a new site in Fishbonds. All very exciting stuff, can I just say. But you know what? You might ask the question, well, 2021, what are we doing in 2021? I don't know what we're doing in 2021. One thing I'm absolutely sure of, unless Jesus comes back, is in 2021, we're going to be praying. And in 2022, we're going to be praying. And in 2023, we're going to be praying. A prayerless life is not a Christian life. It's absolutely vital to who we are and what we do. You know, any athlete will tell you that the key to success is steady and faithful commitment to doing the same things time and time again. That's whether you're a world champion like Dina Asher-Smith or you're an absolute novice. Consistent progress in the same direction is the name of the game. Now, Daniel is found by the officials praying, and they bring the news to King Darius so that Daniel can be thrown into the den of lions. So we've seen his status challenge. We've seen Daniel's response. Now on to the third and final act. That is God's rescue. We look at Daniel chapter 6, verses 16 through to 24. Okay, then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in a haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Okay, well, the, the officials have been hatching a plot that's all about getting their own 
glory in their own scheming, manipulative way. They're not interested in the glory of God. They're not interested in the glory of the king. It's all about themselves. In fact, I would say they've got a bit too big for their boots. They want to get to the top of the pile. They want to have the honor and the prestige, and they're going to do it in a manipulative and scheming way. King Darius has also been very busy. He's very conflicted. He's passed this law. He agreed to it, and then when he heard that Daniel defied the decree, he was troubled, and he was trying to do all that he could to get Daniel free. But this wasn't possible because he had made it into a law. Darius was so troubled that he didn't sleep that night. He didn't eat anything. Look, in this scenario, people are very busy trying to force situations as they see fit. They're trying to do it all themselves and all for themselves. The officials, they're plotting. Darius is backpedaling and trying to find a way out of this. Daniel is praying. At this point in the story, we witness a gear change. It's like in films, oftentimes in, in a film, that at one point the music will change, the backing music will change, and that's indicating to you that the film is taking a slightly different direction. Something unexpected is happening, or there's a change coming. I think that's what we have here. As Darius orders Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den, he does something which, to me, is absolutely remarkable. He offers what I would say looks like a bit of a prayer. He says this, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. The next morning, after very little sleep, nothing to eat, he rushes to the lion's den and cries out, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Now, stop the bus at this point. This is, if that doesn't shock you, I, I don't know what will, okay? We need to understand that this guy, Darius, he's basically like, treated like a god in his empire. Massive, huge empire, massive military. Um, basically, he could almost have anything he wanted in life. This was a guy who was all about his own glory. Everyone around him worshipped him. Now we've got this same guy, this same Darius. It looks like he's offering a prayer to the God of Daniel. And then he's expressing something like he actually believes that this God of Daniel is able to rescue him from lions. Now, I don't know a great deal about like, zoology and animals. I'm from, I'm from London, so I've lived a fairly sheltered life. But from what I understand, lions aren't vegetarians. I might be wrong on that one, but that's what I understand. But this Darius is expressing belief that, oh, has he, has he rescued you? Is he able? That is absolutely fascinating as far as I am concerned. And I just wonder, it makes me wonder. And I, you know, the, 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 the passage doesn't tell us specifically what Daniel was praying for when he was found, when he was caught. We don't know that. We don't know the specifics of what he prayed for regularly. But I'm fairly confident of this. I'm fairly confident that Daniel wasn't only praying for physical safety and advancement at work. That, that might have been a feature, but I don't think he was only praying for that. And I do wonder, I do wonder, given what we've seen, I do wonder whether Daniel was the kind of guy who was regularly praying for King Nebuchadnezzar, then King Belshazzar, and now King Darius, whether he was praying for those kings to eventually turn away from false gods and to know and love and serve the one true living God. I do wonder whether Daniel's prayers would have been directed actually to the, the whole empire. I do wonder whether he was praying that the whole empire eventually one day would turn around and know the God that he knew. I wonder. You know, for all the activity of people that we see in this story, one thing is crystal clear, and that is that God is at work here. The God to whom Daniel had been praying is at work. 
And I just say that prayer is serious business. A prayerless life is like going to war with a bow and arrow when you've got access to tanks and battleships and air support and all of that stuff. To be honest, it's foolish. Why would you do such a thing? And I think it's a challenge, a challenge to many of us who um, maybe kind of have a bit of an activist streak in us. We just want to do stuff. We want to change the world. I think many of us kind of suffer from the Jack Bauer syndrome. Now, Jack Bauer, I think from some of the smiles, I think some of you guys are familiar with Jack Bauer. He's basically like a one-man one man army who saved the world like seven or eight times in 24 hours. Kind of crazy stuff. But he, he's the kind of guy who basically would go to war with not even a gun, just like himself. He, he just, it's crazy. Crazy anyway. But a lot of us at times, when we think we're a little bit like Jack Bauer, we try to live life that way. Um, can I just gently um, challenge you on that and say that the, the, the picture that we get in the Bible of a Christian is not a Jack Bauer, actually. The picture that we get in the Bible is not someone who single-handedly tries to navigate life and do it all themselves. It actually, it's a picture of someone who gets on the phone, gets on the radio, puts in a call to HQ to say, come and rescue me. That is the Christian life. And that's what prayer looks like. And the funny thing about it is that, you know, when you do that, you get so much more than you would have had before. There's a part of the Bible, a guy called James writes in the Bible, he says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Simply, when you're trying to do things your own way, get your own glory in your own way, it's almost like God is, God is going to oppose you on that. God, the living God who's created everything, is going to oppose you on that. He's going to shut you down on that. But if you are humble, if you recognize your weakness, if you recognize your need, if you recognize how amazing he is, and look to him for help and to strength, he comes alongside. He brings himself, which is absolutely amazing. And I think this is something that we need to be reminded of at the beginning of 2020. And this is not just because we're looking to launch the encounter meeting in Fishbone site. It applies to all of life, coming with that kind of humble kind of needy, almost childlike attitude. Okay, so something has happened in Darius. But we see two, two things here. We see that God is in the business of transforming hearts. He's done something in Darius. He is also in the business of rescuing people. God has rescued Daniel from the lion's den. Daniel's words read like this. He says, look, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. He's in the business of transforming hearts. He's in the business of rescuing people. Darius was so impacted by this whole event that he issues a statement. He says this, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Just, just reflect for a few moments. Darius has a man in his governmental staff who's a follower of God. He's a fantastic worker, praying to God faithfully. Somehow this man's faithfulness and prayers move the king from loving his own glory to eagerly pursuing the glory of God, not just for himself, but for the entire kingdom. Can I just say, folks, that prayer is serious business. This is the business end of Christianity. It's clear from the Bible, it's clear from history, in fact, that Look, the shape of um, what's going to happen in 2020 isn't just determined by political leaders. It's not just determined by kings and queens. It's not just determined by chief execs of massive companies, even though they all have a role to play. I would say there is a, a bigger role to play, or there's more um, influence to be had by God's people praying in line with God's will. 
It's part of the, the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught his followers. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I honestly, genuinely believe that. Prayer is serious business. To finish off, Darius' final, um, final words say this. I think from verse uh, 26 onwards, it says this. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And, um, you know, though Darius probably didn't know it, he was actually foretelling who Jesus is and what Jesus would do. The final line, actually, I think it'd be entirely legit to um, rephrase it slightly and say this. Jesus has rescued you from the power of sin, punishment, and death. That is just as true a statement. God is in the business of transforming hearts and rescuing lives. He does it for his glory, and he does it in his own way. For some reason, he's decided to tie much of it to the prayers of his people. It is an immense privilege. He can transform our own hearts and lives. He can then invite us to pray that he might do the same in others. Now, as far as I'm concerned, that is an amazing invitation. It's an invitation that is open to everyone. And it's an invitation I want to say absolutely 100% yes to in 2020, 2021, and every year until I die or Jesus comes back. And I would, I would put it to you guys, I would, you know, my prayer is that you also would accept that invitation.